The Anton Savage Show on News Talk. With us now, we have our panel. We are going to talk about things that have caught our eye in the papers. With me, I have Anna Daly, presenter, and Kevin Doyle, group head of news at Media Huse. Media Huse. Media Huse. Media House, independent, you know, you know yourself. Welcome to the studio, guys. Thanks, Steph. Thanks for having us. Uh, Anna, we'll start with you. What caught your eye in the papers this morning? Right. Well, there is a piece in the Indo today uh, by Amy Malloy. Hundreds build houses, granny flats and log cabins without permission. So this won't be a surprise to loads of people, particularly during lockdown. Granny flats, bunk houses added on offices to houses and there's an issue around planning permission. Some have it, some don't. Some need it though, some don't, right? Exactly. And you can just build, like isn't there certain like metres squared that you can... There's small extensions you can build but it's, you wouldn't be putting your granny in what you can build without planning permission really unless you don't really value your granny that much. Okay. (laughs) Some people have been allowed to stay in the properties, but a handful of others have been ordered to knock down these add-on homes. I suppose some are genuine bunkhouse type places for their kids. It could have been a lockdown project. And others are revenue streams, you know. So there's a grey area going on here. Oh, as in you're renting it to someone. Exactly. But if your adult children are moving back into your house and you have a large garden and you're like, you know the way some people, it wasn't a tradition where like you'd get a caravan and park it outside your mm. family's house while you're waiting for your own house to be built. I don't say, what's the issue? Like if it's your your land, your garden. Well, then it becomes a lawless and you can put anything anywhere. Where do you draw the line? Because your caravan, Stephanie, might be my two story extension. But if you can't, I think if it's a height restriction, like it's not looking into your neighbours. But who decides that? Because your neighbours might not be happy, which is why we have a planning authority to make judgments on these things. And you see it down the country, I think, more so than in urban areas, because obviously people of smaller gardens have less room. So down the country, it is quite common for a farmer to slap up a shed Uh, say nothing and then a couple of years later apply for retention planning permission and go, well, sure, no one's complained about it and it's been there for three years. And so that's now seems to have been extending into the domestic realm Mm -hmm. uh, whereby people are putting things in their gardens or extensions onto their houses. And the question is, and the story that this this story has prompted is, what do local authorities do in those scenarios? We have a housing crisis. If they don't go and try and take some sort of enforcement action against these people, well, then why do the laws exist in the first place? And so that has prompted the debate about how some of these have been knocked down. For in Mead, for example, there's been 21 of these cited in the story, six demolition orders. So in some places, retention is granted. In some places, there would be orders to make changes to whatever was built. Okay, so like get rid of the bathroom and take off the front wall. Make it a bit smaller. As you say, maybe drop the height or something and you can keep it. But in some cases, it's not demolish and there is a fascinating story which Hannah has read in depth of one couple in County Mead who are in a is it 17 years Anna battle with Yeah this County is Council? Chris and Rose Murray um, this is the top story if you look at the Indo app today um, and it's it's what the it's the bigger story of this bolted on piece about the granny flats um, it's the colour piece it's the fascinating one to be honest it's a couple the Murrays who have what's been called a mini mansion now I think to most people tuning in this morning you know it is very clearly a mansion I'm not yeah. sure what a mini mansion is or what no, the definition of it's a very significant property Isn't like it's it? huge it's huge um, I would however, say unnecessarily big but that's just it's me five, they applied 588 for 588 square metres 
Which, See, Kev- Kevin delivers is, the facts. <laughs> which, which is Thank you, how many bedrooms and how many bathrooms do we uh, know? Five beds, it says, um, but that in itself is misleading because it is it is a significant property. They applied for planning permission for a two-storey dwelling and then it seems they had various issues. It was refused several times, as so many people will have gone through that process mm-hmm. and been declined and spent a fortune on architect planning, drawings, etc. But... The most fascinating line to me in this whole thing is after after the permission was refused, the Murrays went ahead and decided to build the house anyway. Did they like, get permission for a smaller house? No. no. Oh, right. OK. So can you imagine everyone in Ireland decided to behave like this? Why were they allowed to do this for 17 years? They have been in a dispute. And as Kevin and I were saying outside, they probably it's, it's almost like a personal thing now. You know, there's a dispute going on for 16 years. They say, uh, just in the interest of fairness, that they feel like it's become a circus. People are driving past, pointing at the house, going, they're the people who built the house. It's about to be knocked down. And I'm pretty sure what they're saying now is they're not going to pay for the demolition of it. Yeah. So strangely, there has been orders back as far as 2010 that they should demolish this. Mm-hmm. And part of their argument now is we're in a housing crisis and you want to knock a perfectly good house and put a family out on the street. And Mead County Council actually offered them emergency accommodation uh, in exchange for moving out of the house peacefully to allow the bulldozers come in and take it down, which is extraordinary when we know what kind of pressure emergency accommodation is under. Um, Well, because they're not here to defend themselves, mm. we'll, we'll move on from the story. But I do think that apart from this personal story, I don't think that you should... I don't know, it's a grey area. I think... You should be allowed to build little little rooms in the back of your garden if you want. But yeah, I guess we have planning laws for a reason. Mm-hmm. But sometimes planning laws are a bit strict. Okay, anyway, let's move on. Um, <laughs> case by case, definitely. Case by case. Case by case, case, by case basis. <laughs> With um, some, some humanity attached. I hear you. This was a, a story I read in the Irish Times today and it has a lovely pull quote which says that Ireland is awash with cocaine. And... Um, drug dealers and supply chains and whatever. I've never uh, been offered cocaine. I've never seen cocaine in you. So I find it hard to believe. But my friends tell me it is rampant. And I was also wondering, we had an interesting discussion today about what the day after cocaine looks like, because I wondered if it was like a hangover. Is this a serious issue? Apparently, like everyone, you know, like the your bank manager, your accountant, proper people with proper lives and jobs are sniffing this stuff at the weekend. I have to be honest, I, I'm in your boat, Stephanie, in the sense that I, I don't... Oh, I thought you were like, I have to be honest. <laughs> I was out last night. <laughs> you thought it was about to be a, a, a mic drop moment. Yeah. Uh, no, no, I, I will con- confess to having a couple of pints last night, Stephanie, but no, I, it, I, I don't know. I have a small child. I, I spend most of my weekends watching Netflix, so I'm not in that scene. I certainly, when I was younger, uh, would have seen it existing in nightclubs or house parties and things like that. Um, but from all the reports and Conor Larry Gallagher's um, really long and inter- fascinating piece today, it seems to be back in that kind of Celtic Tiger phase where it, if you wanted it, it was very easy to get. But apparently um, it's like being delivered on Just Eat, like or deliver it like you can just on Instagram, Snapchat, not Just Eat the app. Like I'm, I'm being facetious before I get sued by Just Eat. Um, <laughs> you can just order, you know, through Instagram or it whatever. Seems to be very delivered. transactional. Yeah. Yes, that it's not as cloak and dagger as it as we might imagine it has been. It seems that if you want it, you will get it quite easily, and people will will find find it very easy. What f- perhaps is more fascinating in this article, though, is how they get it into the country. 
Yes, is. and there's a lovely map if you read mm. this Irish Times piece by Conor Gallagher that says, like, for example, there's a picture of Ireland, there's a map of Ireland and there are like five red dots, four red dots on the island about where this cocaine is coming in. And there's a dot there at Cork and it says, Cork Port, once a month, a large ship known informally as the Banana Boat arrives in Cork Harbour Harbor from South America. This is one of the few direct cocaine smuggling routes into Ireland. Lads, if ye know this... This one boat comes in every 10 days. Why is it still happening? Like well, if you can describe the actual ship, surely we can stop it. Mm-hmm. Well, this is where the intrigue comes in, because if you read, first of all, it's worth noting that fascinatingly, Brexit has impacted all of this and the drug smugglers have had to become much more, um, uh, they've changed their routes okay. since Brexit, much like, you know, the farmers have had to get the meat to Europe a different way. Um, but they, some of the examples, so they brought it in in a horse box. Right. Um, they have disguised it as coffee, as in mixed it in with coffee so that it looks like you're just importing coffee. Um, sometimes it comes in with glue and bleach mixed through it. Um, there was an example last year where it came in in a shipment of charcoal. Um, so it, the cocaine was black. Surely with char- ma- oh, it was black. I was black. like, surely it would stand out pretty significantly. No, no, no. You, you, you dye it black so it looks like it is charcoal coming in. Um, there is, and... Apologies to small ears listening at this hour of the morning, but a policing committee in Dublin heard in 2021 about a uh, assignment that came in in the vaginas of low value horses and donkeys. So I don't know if that answers your question, Stephanie, about how hard it is to find this stuff, but it isn't as simple as it's in a box on the boat. That is deeply disturbing, isn't it? I mean, I thought it was very, the concealment measures, they go through them. And as you say, this is a very thorough article uh, by Conor Gallagher in the Irish Times today. But like liquidizing the cocaine into wine bottles. I mean, they but, are impressive concealment measures. And yes, there are also and measures. And yes, why do people taking it not wonder, where has this been before I inhale it? Oh, I don't think they care. Like if it was charcoal. You see, they there, therein lies the difference, you know. I care. I'm, I'm thinking about where that has been. don't want to inside a horse. Exactly. But then at the and other, the cruelty of that, and there, there's so many layers of that, isn't there? It's so detailed and so and intricate that it's with impressive. Mm. But then the other time, they're just throwing it off the ship, and it's floating up onto the beaches of Dun- wherever it was found it's last. Donegal. Donegal. This was a story a couple of weeks ago that people will have seen, where the these black plastic um, boxes, basically covered in polythene, started washing up on the beach near Dunfanaghy, and suddenly it was realised, oh my God, there is, I can't remember exactly, but was it four million four euro worth of cocaine four million, just washing yeah, around? Yeah. But the drop I bet off you happens are... off the big ship and, and then the daughter vessel picks it up. It could be like a pleasure craft or whatever. Picks it up. I mean, that in itself is quite a basic, isn't it? So all sorts of things go wrong. Miscommunication, the tides are different to, you know, planned or anticipated. The value of this, if they can afford to risk to lose losing it. that yeah. amount of money, how, how much is also like how many times in? is it washing up? If everyone's doing cocaine, how many times is it washing up and someone's like, oh my God, amazing. Look what I just Another found. bail. We have a text in here from someone who says, cocaine is everywhere. I was offered it by the tow truck driver that towed my car last week. My friends can get it in 30 minutes anytime. Wow. But like, are you just sitting at home doing cocaine in, on your couch? Or like, are people, because I feel like people our age, they're not going out. Like we don't have that club scene. Like you have, mm. they have kids. So are you just doing cocaine at home or if you're going to a, a christening or your friend's 50th, are you just sniffing cocaine in their bathroom and then coming out to have a chat about politics? Well, that seems to be the belief among some. I mean, there is, there is, there have been surveys done in, for example, among farmers 
and there's a, a decent, I don't want to say a high percentage, but it is a thing in the farming community that farmers uh, take cocaine to deal with stress, to deal with the pressures of the job. To head out to milk the cattle then? Yeah. Cry. Um, another text here I've been offered coke in Dublin on at least three occasions um, yeah I don't know I, that probably seems like a relatively no number some people listening okay we'll move on from the coke um, shocked and judgmental as I am but keep your texts coming in you can whatsapp us 087 1400 you need two partiers to contribute to the cocaine <laughs> chat in future Stephanie yeah I, I fear we're Netflix and wine people <laughs> <laughs> I just am fascinated to know because I'd say a lot of people who are doing it also have kids. And what is the day after cocaine like when a child wants to go to a soft play park mm. or, you know, the zoo? I'm sure it's so You'd probably depressing. take more to get through it. Yeah. Uh, well, there. Yeah. So this slightly lighter piece um, today. Uh, apparently men are very stubborn and would rather get lost than ask for directions. And I have first-hand experience of this. Men who are too... Arrogant to ask for directions. Is this your husband, Stephanie? Uh, no, he's not too bad. He, I, I have a very good sense of direction, so I never trust him. But I have been like, you know, on holidays with people where lads are like, no, 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 like it's Stephanie down here. And you're like, would you just ask? And they won't. I'm going to come to you first, Kevin. Yeah, I knew you were. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a, an inflated sense of your own direction? So, I, I, first of all, I can't believe that this is news, that they had to survey 1,400 people in Ireland to come to this conclusion. Uh, because um, the idea that a lot of men are stubborn is, I would have thought, just given as fact. Um, am I one of them? Hell yeah. So you just won't. I, it, it's not that I won't. It's not about the... F- Fear of speaking to other humans or asking for directions. Just feeling it's, like another man or a person will judge it's you for part not. of the journey to find your way. Like I used to always say to my wife, she she if she was driving in town or whatever, she'd always have the sat nav on. Mm-hmm. And it's like to the point of like if she had to cross from the north side of Dublin to the south side of Dublin, like you don't know your way across the Liffey because you're always just looking at the sat nav. Whereas I know my way everywhere in Dublin because I'm not always looking at the sat-nav. So therefore, I have actually learned how to get from Glasnevin to Ranelagh if I want to. Um, now, I think as time has gone on, the sat-nav's just always on in the car now because that's just become part of life, the same as everything else. So I'm probably... But if you're in a new place, are you the same? Yeah, I probably would drive around longer than before stopping. Anna? I would give in eventually if I had to, but I'd probably spend a good half hour looking for the place. Oh, yeah. My experience of men would be exactly what Kevin and yourself, Stephanie, have mm-hmm. sa- has said. Um, my husband would rather get lost in Timbuktu than stop and ask someone for directions. That's the opener of that article, but he would be exactly the same. Um, I have to say, I'm like your wife, Kevin. I am so quick to default to Google Maps that I'm not thinking for myself anymore. So before we had Google Maps, you know, my dad would have been like, so you're, you're, you're going to a gig in Galway, so make sure you take the first first turn off that roundabout, you know, mm-hmm. and you're thinking, your mind is active, you, you you know, there's muscle memory when you're driving it again or you're coming back. Whereas now I just default to this robotic mode of, you know, a voice telling me to take the first turn. But you say it as if it's a bad thing, like roads are changing constantly. Uh, t- today, the direction that I would have come to this building would have sent me down two one-way streets. But the sat-nav knew, no, 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 like this is now this. I'd say there was probably a sign telling you not to go down the meter though. 
Yeah, but they have changed, you know, so I don't know what the most efficient route is. And also Google Maps has this data of like, oh, there's a car crash, mm. which you can't possibly know, but I can know because other people are using Google Maps. Yeah, and in fairness, that's why I generally do have Google on now. Because that, it's and like, we have a text in here, mm. Kevin, how do you know if there's really heavy traffic? Kevin, you're missing out on the joys of the sat-nav. Well, you're, yeah, because you're trying to do it yourself. Getting lost in new places is half the crack. Exploring new areas. Now, I have different ways of having crack. I think it depends lost. on what your day consists of. I mean, if you're in work mode, there's no crack in getting lost, ever. If you're driving around the south of France yeah. on your holidays with no kids in the car, there's great crack in getting lost. Well, Do you know what I mean? My producer's in my ear now telling you guys to get lost because we have, <laughs> we have lovely, time. She's shaking her head. Actually, she didn't. But I just thought it was a clever way to segue out of the item and into the next bit. That is Kevin uh, Kevin Doyle, Group Head of News at Media Huis and uh, Anna Daly, presenter. Thank you so much for joining me in studio today. The Anton Savage Show, Saturday morning at nine on News Talk.